Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the You Can Do It Too podcast by Mamba Inspire. I am Mamadou Balde, I'm your host. The purpose of this podcast is to both showcase black excellence and increase awareness of the multitude of career possibilities out there for up-and-coming black professionals. This podcast will assist in breaking stigmas, barriers, and helping black students believe that they are smart enough to be future doctors, engineers, educators, and entrepreneurs. Ladies and gentlemen, what a beautiful day to be alive. Today we have an amazing guest on the podcast, Cameron Merritt. Man, he, he was one of the first people who introduced me to the University of Texas at Austin. He was my counselor at one of the camps that I did during my junior year in high school at UT Austin. This guy really made me love UT. My experience at this camp with his leadership really told me that UT was my home. After University of Texas at Austin with a business degree, he took on a job in Chicago with Ford Motor Company. And from then, he just been climbing ladders and shining. This is an amazing conversation. Tune in. I really want to chop it up. And it's been a while. And I know you, like, you started me. You started me here in college because of, because of my, my experience with you uh, in the camp that really got me interested with UT Austin. Even though I did engineering, like I came to the, I came to business camp just because I wanted to see UT and that experience there, just the the, the way I see what college life was, that's really mm-hmm. what interested me. Uh, I remember at the end I had options, different colleges, Baylor, A and M, and UT was giving me trouble with financial ads and everything. <laughs> And until like last minute, I told my I told my uncle, no, UT is the school I want to go to, and I want to hang in there until they let me in. So I really loved UT because of the experience I had with uh, MFEA. Yeah, no, that makes me very happy, uh, and that's what that camp was for. And uh, yeah, I see for like a lot of students had a really good experience, and that helped them make that final decision to UT. But uh, that makes me very happy. Man, I'm I'm proud of you. Every time I feel like I log in to LinkedIn or I'm reading the alumni magazine, I'm seeing you, man. And you're like creating, you know, carving your own lane and doing your own thing and making an impact where you can. So like, yeah, I'm super proud of you. And um, I'm glad that you had a really good experience at MFEA because I did that program when I was wow. in high school. And that yeah. pretty much was the cylinder for me to go to UT. And that experience changed my life. So um, I'm yeah. glad that you had it. I'm glad we had a chance to connect then so yeah no well done man i i remember yeah every time and, and every time i you know sometimes you just stop and think about how far you come and and the things that you do and i always remember uh it started with you right and uh, when i came to ut the first thing i did during my uh during my orientation uh is identifying an advisor in the engineering school and told them, hey, I, I'm really excited to be here, but I, I know I don't know everything I need to know to, to be successful right now, but I'm, a re- I'm, I'm really counting on you. I want you to be my mentor. And she also took me under her wing since then. And so those people that I meet along the way that, I, that becomes my mentor, just help me, help guide me. 
uh, I don't think I would be where I'm at without you, without you guys. Oh yeah, no, that's great. I always say like that, that's so critical that going to a school as big as UT was like finding your resources. And oftentimes yeah. students don't know the resources that they have. So like the fact that you were able to find your advisor and find your people um, is critical to success. I know that that was, that was huge for me in finding my community and my people and my resources uh, because it's just like a roller coaster ride. And uh, so oftentimes it's the community and the resource that kind of help you navigate and help you get there. So, um, you know, it's, it seems, sounds like you did that and uh, here you are today. So yeah, not for me, I would say that's, that was critical to me getting through the program, getting through UT and, yeah. you know, having my mental health like intact once I finished the program it was because yeah, of the resources yeah. and the community I had at UT. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. That's an amazing point right there because many people do not realize that. I mean, everybody knows UT is a big school, but UT has one of the biggest resources around the world. And when you have, uh, when you access, when you have access to those resources, it's just hard to say no to opportunities that come. Absolutely. And I remember I like resources like studying abroad, but just being able to connect with having my mentor at UT, uh, my boss for my part time job and um, different friends in different programs like they just know stuff like, hey, have you checked this out? And you just got to kind of get out there and talk to people. And because um, the websites only tell you so much. It's that local knowledge that I say. So um, I, I always tell students that are going no matter if it's UT or another university like generally the resources are there. You just have to like find them and tap into them. And um, some people are afraid to ask, is afraid to speak up. Uh, and I've learned that you have, oftentimes you have not because you ask not. Uh, and yeah. if you if they, if they don't have it, somebody, somebody cares enough will find, find it for you if, if they can. Definitely, definitely. So I know we, we just jumped in because I was just so excited to, to talk to you. But yeah. let's go back. Like, how is everything going right now uh, with everything that is going on around the world? It's like everything is crashing around us and we're just trying to figure out a way to add value to society, you know, without messing anything up. How is it going? It's going okay. I mean, I always say it depends on the day that you ask me because it's such an, an emotional roller coaster. Some days I'm great. Some days I'm not. Uh, and I'm able to recognize that and do whatever I need to do to put myself in a more like healthier position to be able to navigate. Um, you know, the pandemic wise, you know, from a professional standpoint, I've been very fortunate. I, you know, I still have my job and, you know, everything was stayed intact there. So I was able to, my job is not place dependent. So I'm able to, you know, I went and spent some time with my, my family for an extended period of time. And now I'm back in Chicago and was able to still do my job, add value where I could. So I find that alone right there is just, you know, very blessed to be able to keep keep my job and Definitely. keep the health and benefits, health insurance and all of that. So um, so that's one piece of it. Of course, we have all the, the racial uprising and Black Lives Matter and all that that's happening in our society. And that's just an emotional roller coaster. Um, depending on your life experiences and kind of your learnings and socialization in this world. So I feel like, you know, it was like the perfect storm. You had the pandemic where everybody's kind of hugged up at home and then you have the, the uprising happening. And uh, yeah, no, I had some really tough days. Um, yeah. You know, just trying to navigate uh, because it, it it was a lot. It, it, it was exposing a lot of stuff that you already knew, but then, you know, people that may not have understood, it was like 
the, the raised level of consciousness of our society was like really exhausting. Uh, yes. And yes, it just took you for an emotional roller coaster. So I was fortunate. I was with my family during the beginning of it and a lot uh, when it was really moving at a very fast pace. And um, I think that really made a big difference was being with my, with my mom and dad. Um, I, I think I've been all right, but I think I would have probably maybe had a little more cha challenging time if I was, you know, still alone in Chicago in my own place. So it kind of worked out really, really nicely. Exactly. Yeah, I can imagine, especially uh, many people in the professional world where they have to go to work uh, and, uh, and just keep that uh, level of that mask you know you know I, i'm okay I, i'm just I'm, I'm gonna do my work i'm all right but and the people that you are working around many of many of them do not exactly know what you are experiencing right yeah you know and everybody had that different experience i will tell you um you know, it's it, it varies depending on your management or your lead in the department or what region you are within Ford and in where I work. Um, I was very fortunate to have, you know, a, a management and a manager, a couple managers that um, really could identify with me as a black man. And um, they were kind of leading um, our region through all that was happening. Um, and so I was able to have management that actually created space for us, for everybody to feel whatever you were feeling. Now that may not have been the case in other regions, I don't know, but I know that I was actually very fortunate and blessed actually in my yeah. region to have, um, it was, he was a black man that was leading our region. Uh, mm -hmm. And we had another black man that was another manager. So, and I consider them, you know, both mentors and friends uh, and, being able to see their humanity and seeing how they were coping with it and checking on me like during the weekend and during the week, I had a lot of support from a professional sense that others may not have had. So I also recognized from that sense too. Um, so yeah, that was my experience, but it was already tough, but I know that I had management that actually, yeah. they knew they were, they were black men. They were experiencing a lot of it. They were able to help me and guide me and support me during that time. Definitely. That is awesome. I, that is definitely important. And I feel like uh, the, the things that happened this year is something that many of, your, many of us young people never experienced before. This is our first time having a pandemic and many of these things, right? And I feel like this year has forced many of us to just take a step back and really figure out what's really important to us, what we care about, what's our vision. And especially uh, one of the two biggest deaths that we've seen recently, like the Kobe Bryant and Chadwick Boseman. It's like, no matter how many, no matter how much you have to live, how many years you have to live, it's like, if you really live it to the fullest, you, you focus on building your legacy, you will never be forgotten. Those years gonna be enough. Yeah, no, I agree. It's interesting, like, of course, Kobe and Chadwick, obviously just in general were big losses, but I can speak specifically to like, like the black community, like those were two, um, you know, professionals in their own right, uh, yeah. was a big loss for our community. It's a big loss for the world. Uh, and the pandemic has forced us to slow down, I know. Uh, but it's also forced us to do a lot of self-reflection. Because yeah. I think we were moving really, really fast before. Yes. Uh, I can yes. speak for myself. You're just kind of moving to the next next thing on your checklist, the next goal, um, the next external form of validation whatever that may be for you. Yes. Trying yes. to hustle 
and trying to get to the next level and try to, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead kind of mindset that just permeated our, our culture. So mm. COVID obviously forced us to slow down. And I know I can speak for me. It made me do an inventory of my life. Like I started thinking about experiences that I had growing up and how they shape me in ways and how they impact how I navigate through the world today. How a lot of it has helped me and a lot of it continues to help me, um, but how a lot of the things that I experienced and how I deal with things were in, uh, unhealthy um, and weren't to the best of what I needed to be and you know, where I wanted to go. So it's this yeah. co continual like recalibration of you know, like what's important to me Am I living that out? Um, and if not, you know, what small sustainable changes can I make to create the life that I want? And you'll hear the term agency thro thrown out a lot. Like we have agency. Yeah. We have everything that you need to create the life that you want. And I think that people are pausing and just thinking about like, what do I want? Um, and really letting go of expectations of the world, but expectations of what you thought your life was going to be or where you think you're going to go and just thinking about it and it may yeah. look different and the next piece of having the courage to like execute and live that out definitely definitely wow that is amazing that is well said you right now you work at fall you've been working there for six years what does your job consist of yeah so my my job right now is the title is business development specialist. So when we think of Ford as the vehicle manufacturer, um, the way Ford really makes money is we manufacture vehicles and we wholesale dealers. We make uh, profit uh, revenue by selling uh, parts. And we also make money by selling ESP extended service plans. I focus in like what we call fixed operations. So I'm in marketing, sales and service. I, mm -hmm. and I work with our Ford dealerships on various marketing initiatives, marketing programs, uh, and process improvement to help them increase their capacity, which means the, the ability to service more mm -hmm. vehicles, fix more vehicles, ultimately sell more, need more parts. And so Ford can sell more parts to the dealership. So that's the world I live in. Uh, and um, it's all about helping dealers grow their capacity to be able to sell more, buy more parts from Ford. And I've just been in this particular job for a couple months, uh, but mm -hmm. in this area of the business for uh, a little over a year. Uh, and before I did a couple roles, I was same job now, but in the new vehicle sales part, zone manager. So think of like a sales rep going into dealerships. Um, so that's really what I do now um, and learning a lot. It's a very, it's like a complex business, but then like there are parts where it's like, you know, it's at the end of the day, we're just trying to increase capacity, but there's, I won't bore you, but there's so many ways and levers, as we say, to help dealers increase their capacity. So in short, that's what I do. Definitely, definitely. I never, I never asked you exactly where uh, you were born, where, where you grew up in, what city, but the, the way you just left Texas and went to Chicago, <laughs> I know you love the cold. So no, no, I, I, I actually, <laughs> I I'm don't. I, 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 I question. No, I literally question why I live in Chicago every time winter hits, which I'm not the only one. A lot of us do. Uh, but yeah, originally, so born and raised in Texas. I was born in Abilene, and then I grew wow. up in Lubbock. So West Texas, born and raised. Yeah. Wow. Um, so very different from Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, uh, other East Texas, other parts of Texas. Yeah, West Texas. My parents from that area of two. So, um, and then, yeah, obviously went to Austin and then uh, Ford 
you know, when I was hired on Ford, I got my job through the business school at UT through like LCR on-campus recruiting. And then Ford was like, oh, we're shipping you off to Chicago for training. And then I did a couple months of training. And then from there, I could have been shipped off pretty much anywhere in the country. But, you know, I was very fortunate enough to be able to stay in Chicago so that it worked out nice where I got to plant where other friends that I started with, colleagues, they may have went to different parts of the country. I was the only one in my like small cohort of six people that got to say Chicago, which is, which is nice. Like I've had an awesome experience and I, no complaints here. I've, I've met some of you know my best friends here uh, in Chicago and I'm not far from my brother who lives in Indianapolis. Wow. Wow. I would never tell. I would never tell. <laughs> wow. That's a big change. Abilene is a majority uh, white city, right? Say that again. Abilene is a majority white city, right? Uh, I mean, in general, yeah, West Texas. West is, Texas, yeah. West Texas is, yeah, majority white. Um, so. I was growing up there. I was growing up there. Um, you know, it's it definitely had, it was an experience, I will say that. Um, before I can honestly speak to the experience of living in West Texas, I always say that, um, you know, I grew up in a very, like, I always say very blessed. Like, I hit the jackpot when it mm -hmm. comes to like family. And when I say hit the jackpot, I mean like I was really raised in a family that was like faith, love, respect, um, nurturing environment, um, fun. We had a lot of fun in my family. Uh, and so, you know, I had, I have awesome parents that, um, that were a model of like love and respect in, in their relationship. So, um, you know, it had its challenges because I, you know, when we moved to Lubbock, um, I went to a predominantly white elementary school, white junior high school, white high, uh, white high school. Um, and I also played tennis for 11 years and I played the cello. Oh, wow. So I was involved in activities where oftentimes I was the only, um, and I enjoyed yeah. them and I felt like I, I succeeded in my own right. Um, but that also, you know, I had a unique experience there, um, you know, being the only black cello player in the West Texas Orchestra or, yeah. um, you know, being the only black player that walked in, um, you know, walked into a tennis tournament uh, and, you know, catching eyes like, you know, and not only did I play, like I was the number one player on my high school team uh, and, you know, competed pretty well as a high school student so um you know it was it wasn't something that i don't think people in west texas saw every day was just a black man that was excelling in the sport of tennis uh mm -hmm. and doing really well and very comfortable in it too i enjoyed it and and, and felt like you know I, I i belong there in that space <laughs> so wow no that's good i think that's important that's important definitely did you try to play college at ut no, no, no. I never, I never wanted to play. Um, I don't think, I don't think I was, a, could have done D1. I felt like I was a good tennis player, uh, but was not mm -hmm. D1 material by no means. Um, but I still, and looking back, I probably, if I able to decided freshman year of high school that I wanted to go for it, I probably could have done the work to try to get there. But, um, you know, I always, I just never intended to play in college. I just, you know, was going to finish high school and go to college and not compete there. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a life sport, still a part of my life today. I kind of try to get out every now and then. Uh, and my brother, my brother played as well. Uh, so that's a, you know, a big part of our relationship is that sport. This podcast is about showcasing black professionals who are doing excellent things. But what is the definition of black excellence? Taking what you have and making the best of it 
can achieve things when literally like the whole entire system is designed like in ways that are like is designed to exclude us. It doesn't matter what you start out with, it matters where you go. And then when you go, you're not going just for you. You're going to lead the way for someone else. It means excelling at a high level while staying true to yourself and true to yourself in your black. We still are able to, you know, just like go the extra mile or, you know, carry the extra weight that we need to carry just because of society and still achieve the things that we're able to achieve. And paying it forward. That's my definition of black excellence. Talking about Faye, uh, what were the kind of atmosphere or settings that you grew up in your family? You, talking about Faye, is it like, did you grow up in a two-parent home or a single-parent home? I did. I grew up in a two-parent home, uh, mom and dad. Um, and like I said earlier, um, I hit the jackpot in the sense that just um, a really good model of just like love and respect. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't know it then, but like as an adult, as a black man, 29 year old black man now, um, I can look back and see how impactful it was to have the parents that I have in a sense that um, like my dad, a black man, um, it was not weird or it wasn't abnormal to see him really show his emotion. Mm -hmm. I could see him the utmost joy, but I it wasn't uncommon to see my dad upset or cry. Um, mm -hmm. So, which we don't often see as black exactly. men in our, in our exactly. community. So I yeah. didn't know any different. And then I think about the reason we moved from Abilene to Lubbock was um, because of my mom's job. So, um, you know, and seeing my dad support my mom in her career uh, and having that experience of, them making that work because I was element we were in elementary school when that whole when she started to you know commute and make that transition in life and uh, um, seeing how my dad was supporting her career you know finding support in their community to help you know manage all the changes they were going on there so um, yeah and then you know my dad was that spiritual leader of our family so seeing him lead that way was absolutely impactful and then you don't know but as I'm an adult now like I see how I'm able to like lean back um, on just the models that I had for my parents and for my brother wow. of how I'm able to navigate today so uh, yeah no I, I always say like my dad was my dad's a model you know from a black man standpoint of really being able to really see the expansiveness of a black man that, and that is amazing the humanity of a black man that we don't always necessarily see in our society, but I yeah. definitely had it at home. I got to see all parts of my dad. That is amazing. That is amazing. That is definitely important. Yeah, definitely. So you decided to go to UT Austin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, it seems like many people from West Texas go to UT Austin. Was that your only choice? No. So um, I was going to, uh, A&M was really on top of my list for a long time. Yeah. Um, I applied to Georgetown in DC. Um, I did a mm. cool program in high school and like just loved DC and loved the school and applied and was able to get in there and got an A&M. 
I applied to Texas Tech. Uh, I think those were the four schools that I applied for, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah. But uh, I went to that summer camp that we spoke about earlier, and um, that kind of, um, it felt right. Um, and one of the things we talk about in our family, you know, we talk about faith for us and, you know, you have a guide, like, you know, some people call your intuition, uh, in my family, we call it the spirit. Like mm. we know when life is taking you down a certain path. And I feel like early on, my parents raised me and my brother to be able to listen to that. Mm -hmm. um and when I went to UT for the business camp and then my parents took me there for like another program uh, it felt right and so and got into the business school which is a phenomenal accomplishment McCombs is obviously a top business school at a top university so like I'd like I'm going to UT and uh <laughs> I I still say to this day it was the best decision that I made by no means an easy experience by no means was it a cakewalk but uh um, it changed my life as far as the friendships that I have now and how I view myself. Definitely. And, and you got to be there during the McCoy, McCoy and Shepherd time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that was McCoy. So McCoy was my, was that my senior year? It may be my freshman year too. Yeah. Around that time. It, it took a dip right after that as far as the performance goes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Definitely. Because we came in in the strong era and we were like, yeah, the first one, we're going to go places. But yeah. uh, UT is definitely, uh, we all love UT, but we also know that UT has about 8% African-American. So, I actually talked to some people recently uh, who in the business school uh, who are African-American women. And they told, I was thinking uh, the idea of just being the only person in your class is like in the engineering school and stuff like that. But I also find yeah. that in, in business school, uh, there are also very few uh, African-American people. And how was it for you? How was your experience there in the business school? Um, so it's so funny. I, I did experience feeling other, being the only in certain spaces. Absolutely, it happened. Mm. Um, and then, you know, then you start talking about imposter syndrome and all the things that you experience when you're in those spaces. I couldn't verbalize it. I didn't have the language for it then. Exactly. But it, it was happening. Now that I'm 29, I'm looking back, I was like, oh, that feeling like you're not belonging in the space, the feeling that you can't speak up and bring your experience because you're afraid that people won't understand it. Um, the way you're seeing it or how you say it may not be received. Um, and I remember almost policing myself a lot in certain spaces and almost shrinking myself a bit because I didn't want to stand out more than I already felt that I did stand out Wow! because I very much identify as a black man. That is from an identity standpoint, that's high up there because I know my black skin, that means something and you're moving in our, in our very racialized society for sure. And I learned that very early on in my life. So, um, I can sense it like I feel like my heart actually starts racing. I get really warm and I get that feeling that I remember having a lot in certain classes, in certain conversations, in certain experiences and organizations at UT. I couldn't put I couldn't verbalize it. That's exactly. the thing. Yeah. But it definitely happened. Um, but you know, again, I lean back on the tools of like where I grew up and my parents are awesome at building community wherever they go. And I did that at UT. I yeah. found my community that I didn't have that feeling. And you have class, but class is a, a, um, 
you know, not 100% of the equation at UT. You spend a lot of your time in social circles, going out, hanging out. It was very important for me to find that space where I belonged. And I noticed as I progressed, progressed through UT, at the beginning, I was feeling I was trying to be in spaces that were deemed as where you get your network and where you kind of make your moves and build relationships. But often that, that was a very, that was, again, that's a perception. Yeah, exactly. And often that's not in alignment with where you as a black person need to be for your like mental and emotional health. They're exactly. Oftentimes, oftentimes they're two different realms. I found myself by the time in a UT, I was literally only doing things that made me feel, you know, that I was a part of the space and less worried about. And I, I couldn't verbalize that then. I can verbalize it now, what I was doing, what, what I was experiencing, but that's what was happening. And I remember, you know, letting go of some student group commitments, student or commitments, not, re, not running again for certain boards or organizations and drilled it down to a couple um, where I kind of found my family. That is big. And I feel like many times society build these bubbles, right? And told us this is the place we need to be in in order to 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 go to this is this is where we're supposed to go in, in order to be successful, right? And uh, people that are considered others, when we come in that place, we don't feel comfortable. And usually people people who are supposed to help us be successful look at it and say, Why are you here? Right, because they do they do not usually see people like us there. And one thing that I always wonder, how do we fix that? How do we get this better? Right? Where it's like everybody, because many people do not understand this, right? When when you're talking about equality and equity equity, right? Yeah. When you say, uh, oh, African American people are not getting the same opportunities, people say, Why? We're all going to the same networking events, but at that networking event, you feel happy. I feel nervous. I feel intimidated, right? Your dad had told you what to expect like two days ago at that networking event. I do not have a dad who'd been there before, right? Yeah. So, And I also know like me trying to manage my emotions and times because I want to present myself. I don't want to, you know, adhere to like the angry black man stereotype or trying to manage myself. And so you're not worried about you know, the conversation, you're worried about just basic how you're presenting yourself. And that yeah. carries a lot of psychological energy. Um, but I think at the end of the day, um, from my perspective, I always kind of go back to how we define success uh, yeah. and redefining it honestly for us and what that looks like. And for not as a, as a community, but also individually, uh, because the world will tell you there are certain realms of success and they're often, often external. Uh, and um that definition of success is often tied to systems in which we were not always welcome or it wasn't built for our community. And so we spend a lot of time hustling, trying to circumvent a system that by all means wasn't intended for us to bring our our full self to. Um, So sometimes I'm in the space now and I still haven't been able to like pinpoint it, but I'm always thinking, well, what really is success? Uh, And kind of defining that for myself. Um, and the definition for me is coming more internal. It's less, you know, you know, being able to separate what I've achieved and what I will achieve and then separate it from who I am and being able to, you know, hold space for both. Uh, and once I really, and then I also think that once you define success, like carving out your own lane, because then I can lean back on my faith and say that kind of 
you know, I think that whatever is for me is for me. And I think mm-hmm. Mama do whatever is for you is for you. And um, if it's for you, there's, there's no system. There's nothing that can really get in the way of it. Um, you've got to continue to have that courage and confidence to hold to your convictions and stay true to yourself as you're kind of navigating your way. Um, exactly. We don't need I don't need to try to be like anybody else. Um, exactly. Cause I think about success in my life and I'm over here. Oftentimes it was, I showed up the way that I needed to show up for myself and that often happened. So it's challenging and you know, I'm not an expert on diversity, equity, inclusion by no means. Um, I do think that it's, I always say yes. And people there's no, there's, yes, everything matters in that sense. Like anything solution that we can think of, let's go for it because we have a lot of work to do. And so we do have to get into understanding the history. We do have to get into the biases. We do have to get into, if we're talking in a professional sense, like who's on the board, who's making these decisions, um, how we're spending our money, redefining what success is. Like, yeah, we know success is you know profit, profitability. That's how you keep the machine running. That's the core of capitalism, being able to, you know, profitability to keep the machine running but like we've got to redefine success too like measurements of equity measurements of inclusion and that's a part of the definition of success and I think that's a long way to go but we have to all of that has to come into play when we're thinking of success and how we build a system around that that does that I do think we're I try to stay hopeful um, again <laughs> I'm always, not we got to be we got to be yeah hopeful. Yeah. Again, I'm not an expert in it, but I think it's a process. And um, while we're while we are creating our own lanes and we're speaking up and we are, you know, we're showing courage to show up in spaces, um, we also have to always say take care of ourselves too. And you know, Definitely. thinking about the health, mental health, mental, spiritual, emotional health as we navigate that too, because um, to me that's just as important of of achieving your external goals. Definitely. One thing you really touched that really I think is very important for people to understand is that your happiness, what you, what you think as success is specific to you, right? Like the way, what makes you happy doesn't necessarily make someone happy. So as you said, society has created this world where uh, and define what success is supposed to be. But no, like you're supposed to when you follow your own lane, when you follow your own path, that's all you need, right? You don't need to have the success of society. And sometimes getting that success, it's not worth it. It's going to make you even mad at yourself, right? And it depends on your values. You got to go back to like kind of what you value. Some people value certain exactly. things and achieving ABC is in line with their values. And it's not good or bad. It just, it is. And Definitely. when you get really granular and clear, um, which to me is a lifetime journey. I don't think you ever really like nail everything on the head. I think that's the beauty of life is you're kind of always evolving. But when you're yeah. very like really clear on that, um, then you're not comparing yourself. Because, exactly. And then when I'm not comparing myself, I can really lean into joy when people around me are achieving great things. Because I think one thing we have wrong in society is we, we, we'll center ourselves we somebody else's success is some indication of our success and it's like it has nothing to do with that so when I have friends or people that are close to me achieving great things in their own right I can be very very happy because that's their journey and that hopefully is in line with their goals and it's so like oh well if that's maybe going for but maybe I'm not ready to receive that or that's not even a part of what I really want or what I value 
uh, and I'm clear on that. And I think that we tend to, because we don't go in a lot as a society, we don't spend that time, but then we start looking outside on definitions of success. And often those definitions are always changing. We will look 10 years from now, Mamadou, and it'll be a different definition. And then you're always just kind of, and you're kind of chasing the hamster wheel again. So it's like, wait a second, you know, you got to really define it for yourself. Stay grounded in that, stay focused on that, because the world will have you moving left and right, chasing all kind of stuff. And it's just not, it, it, it's not sustainable. I, I, I don't think it's sustainable yeah. to really live a full, healthy, thriving life, if that's the mindset that we, we're taking in. This podcast is about showcasing black professionals who are doing excellent things. But what is the definition of black excellence? Taking what you have and making the best of it. Can achieve things when literally like the whole entire system is designed like in ways that are like is designed to exclude us. It doesn't matter what you start out with. It matters where you go. And then when you go, you're not going just for you. You're going to lead the way for someone else. It means excelling at a high level while staying true to yourself and true to yourself in your black. We still are able to, you know, just like go the extra mile or, you know, carry the extra weight that we need to carry just because of society and still achieve the things that we're able to achieve. And paying it forward. That's my definition of black excellence. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, even uh, sometimes as you're growing up, when you are younger, you tend to believe that when you're trying to change the world. You want to do every, you want to solve every issue around the world. But yeah, that's not, you, you don't need to do that. All you have to do is to focus on one issue and make sure you solve it. And then it's going to be enough. It's going to be enough for you. And, and what you're designed to do. There are certain issues that I care about. I'm actually made like, I'm not designed to do that. Like I'm not yeah. built for that. And that's yeah. fine too. Somebody's in that lane. We all got to find out what our lane is because everybody has a role to play in all of this. Um, mm. It's interesting. I, I use this analogy a lot. It's when I used to fly to Chicago at night, the skyline is beautiful and mm. it's made up of thousands of lights that make mm. up that entire skyline. And the reality is if half those lights decide not to dim their light, the skyline's gone and it's not as beautiful anymore. And that's yeah. how I view our world, is that everybody has their light, that thing that wow. makes them. And yeah. if everybody did the work, and, and I say that privilege too, because you know it's a privilege to be able to sit down and think about your purpose and stuff like that when people are literally like trying to find a job and trying to like survive. Mm -hmm. So I hold space for the people that are just trying to make it. Um, so I know I speak from a, a very privileged position that I can pause and think about my purpose and my lane yeah. and my light. Like, I think those are very Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That's very up there in the self-actualization space. The problem is in our society, we have so many people on that bottom layer barely making it. We got to rethink mm. our system. So, but I'm, that's not, you know, I'm, that's not, I'm not, that, that's not my lane necessarily. Yeah. I don't know. You should but do so. going but going back to that analogy, um, if we had a system 
that allowed for everybody to be able to focus on that light, um, the beautiful skyline that we can make as a society. We don't live in a society and systems that everybody can, it's, it's hard for people to get to that level. Uh, and that's, I think that's where we, um, but it's very complex. Um, it's rooted in sexism, racism, all the isms in the world. <laughs> and because of all the isms, we can't really, we can't, it's, hard, it's hard to get there. Yeah, definitely. Wow, that's that's definitely well said. So, you 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 left. Uh, I think 2015, 2014, 2015. You graduated from uh, UT Austin, and uh, you took a job at Ford. And since then, you've been there for six years, and you've been just climbing mountains, pushing walls. <laughs> I wouldn't you've call been it growing. that. <laughs> I have been growing. You, I will say that you, I have been growing. Yeah, you've been you've been growing that company. So I'm sure like in the beginning, in the beginning, you had a lot of things to learn. And as you went, you had to, you walked in many rooms where you did not feel comfortable. You had to really uh, adapt, stay in there, uh, persevere and adapt and make sure to be able to be in those rooms. How hard was that? Uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely had that. Um, you know, particularly if I was walking into a dealership where I was probably, I was the only across the entire dealership. Um, and again, it goes back to how you know your identity and me mm -hmm. very much identifying with all the expansiveness of being a black person, understanding walking in that space, what that means, um, that it was challenging. Um, but I always say, you know, your life experiences prepare you for it. Um, I go back to, um, you know, being the only in the orchestra, in tennis, and in elementary school, and in middle school, and in high school, and many spaces at UT, it wasn't a new feeling. Okay. It just wow. was a different, it was just now I'm in a job. Like I got getting a paycheck. And so, um, and I had the more built, the ability to actually verbalize it and recognize when I was feeling, you know, like I was the imposter syndrome was sticking in or didn't feeling like I could bring myself to the space, um, being able to you know, use the tools of my faith, use tools of like family support to be able to navigate. Um, but, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a new experience. Now, that's my experience. I have friends that they grew up in a black community, completely black community, black family, black HBCU, then they get plopped in out states of whatever and are going into dealerships where they're the only, that's a different experience. Yeah. Um, I absolutely hate, you know, that people feel that. Um, and I feel like that's a part actually of my mission in life of how I, um, you know, want to, you know, shine my little light is whatever I can do to, you know, minimize that feeling for anybody else. Um, I think yeah. if I had utopia, my biggest dream is that everybody can walk into a room and don't have to adjust any part of themselves. They can speak, wow. say, do however they feel, as long as obviously they're not... <laughs> impacting physically or hurting somebody that yeah. is accepted it's welcomed it's appreciated and it's loved Definitely. and i try to be that am i perfect no but that's how i want to see it because i feel like i've had too many situations where i was that was my experience i'm like oh that you know i don't want that for anybody else so a lot of what when i'm doing things that's honestly sometimes the premise the basis of the foundation of why i'm doing it but again, I go back, like I, again, I have a really, really good support system. Yeah. Um, that I have people to call on um, to help me when I feel that way, 
when I leave a meeting or when I'm working in that space. Like, I have that. The problem is that everybody has that. That's where we run into problems. Definitely, definitely. Talking about light, uh, you you've been shining. Uh, one of the one of the awards that you had earlier is the thirty thirty under thirty leadership. Yeah. What's that? What's that? Can you talk about that and uh, how how you got into that? Yeah. So it the the it's a fellowship at Ford, and Bill Ford started it um, as a way to amplify young leaders within the company and mm-hmm. to um, you know provide them the training uh, network resources to to grow and develop. So it's an entire process of um, having the opportunity to to be in that. I was selected to be in that, and. Um, yeah, I went through a year long, uh, the concept of design thinking. So a part of that was a year long course in design wow. thinking, understanding though that, that, that model and those tools, how to apply it in the business sense, but also how to apply those tools in your life as far as, you know, iteration and, you know, thinking big and, you know, empathy and all of those core components of design thinking. But then also we worked on a project too. So Wow. Um, I was part, our, I, and then they put us in groups. So I was with five other people. We were ha- partnered with Habitat for Humanity and we get to work on a community project and we're still, you know, together today and we work where we can and we work with Habitat for Humanity. I think our, our plan is to build a new community center in a particular neighborhood in Detroit. So wow. using all the tools at our disposal, working at Ford provides a lot of resources uh, and clout. So you're able to use that. Uh, and then I was able, and I'm able to, um, I'm in marketing, sales and service, but I have somebody on my team in HR, purchasing, engineering. So I'm able to build my network and just be able to appreciate the diversity and how big and expansive Ford is, um, you know, through that program. And that comes with a lot of cool opportunities as far as I was, I sat on a panel about volunteering um, and it was a, gl- a global marketing, you know, uh, an event and it was, you know, I was able to sit on that and get exposure in that way as well. So um, it's a really big honor. It's really, really exciting. Uh, meeting people from Mexico and Canada and building relationships there too. Uh, so yeah, it was a year long, year long honor. Uh, and they continue to call us back for different, opportunities within the company so a lot of high exposure being a 430 under 30 that is amazing that is amazing yeah i as i said you've been shining that's that's the kind of stuff that really uh i think it, it motivates you to just work for a company and stuff like that and uh, one last question that i wanted to ask you about so chicago is definitely one of the most beautiful cities <laughs> in the u.s and uh, I know we talked about the cold, but it, one thing I really like about Chicago, I mean, New York is also nice in some places, but Chicago is just, uh, downtown Chicago, I feel like is even better than New York. Some people may disagree with me, but what's your favorite thing to do uh, in Chicago? Oh, wow. Um, so obviously it would be during the summer, because it's yeah. summer, <laughs> like the winter, nothing's happening. Um, I absolutely love the coast. Um, I live to live like three blocks away from Lakeshore Drive, which is like oh, beautiful wow. on the ocean. Uh, or Lake Michigan, sorry, Lake Michigan, <laughs> not yeah. the ocean. But, um, you know, one of my favorite things was actually working out along the coast, going on a long run uh, where you have the skyline on one side and the Lake Michigan on the other. Wow. Um, it's some things that I loved. Uh, and you spend a lot of time, um, Chicago, 
particularly pre-pandemic, was known for its restaurants, a big restaurant scene. So um, lots of cool rooftops and social events to be able to different cuisines. Uh, and I would say I would argue Chicago is a cleaner than New York City. Um, so you're getting a, all that cool restaurant vibe, social vibe in a very just a more clean, a cleaner, uh, wow. a cleaner city. Um, and, and then, I mean, like anywhere, I always say the people make it. Like I have some really awesome friends here and a community here. And um, we've been able to experience a lot of cool things in the city. Um, you know, whether you're being able to get on a boat on Lake Michigan, a cool restaurant week, um, a bar crawl, all kind of things. Um, but it really, uh, anything outside here in the summer is kind of like, fun we'll take it all yeah um, but it's a really it's a really cool city wow that is amazing that is amazing man thank you so much for the time uh this was definitely a great uh conversation most importantly just seeing your face chatting with you <laughs> that definitely great and i i just want i just want to tell you like Thank you so much for introducing me to UT. I, I don't think I ever got a chance to tell you this, but uh, I'm definitely here because of giants like you. So um, thank you for that. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for the kind words. Um, you're, you're doing an awesome job. Uh, and again, like I said, you're finding your lane. And it seems like you're having fun with it. So continue to step out, continue to show courage, you know, continue to develop the, the practice of self-reflection is my, my advice to you. And my advice to anybody that will ever listen to this is to, is really foundational. Um, being in tune to who you are, what you want in the life you want to live is like critical to this journey. So it seems like you're doing it because you're doing stuff that like, I don't think I'm like, nobody else is doing what he's doing out here. And uh, it's really great to see. So, you know, Thank you, but I'm super proud of you, man. Like, thank you. I'm not even. I'm not even worried about. It. I made the black queen's grace continually mesmerize the millions who couldn't see it when looking into her eyes. And the black man's plight no longer be the disguise. Oppression, emasculation, they wanna castracize. I just wanna be me. I just wanna be free. I just want liberty, equity, and democracy. I just wanna believe in the good of society. I just wanna believe that they ain't been lying to me. I want equality, want no more poverty. I want people to tell you it's more black people in jail for committing crimes to blacks and whites are committing equally. I want the corporate interest to crumble before my feet. I want them to stop selling your rights to powers that be. I want a third term for Obama we'll never see. No Democrat, no Republican, me, I want unity. I want the righteous voice speaking to my community. Don't listen to what they say and look at what they say to see. I want you to know the truth, but for that you will have to see. All people are beautiful, but you best know my people are beautiful.